Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect with the times when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on, uh, on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, 19 years ago, 19 years ago, we had our first service here at Church by the Bridge, as it was then. And on that first service, it was a 6 p.m. service, uh, we sang a song, which has been my sort of go-to song, my friend song for the last 20 years. This is a song. Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful, when the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. But then, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, as I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. And you can sing along. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. And that is true. That is true. No matter what you're going through in the, the good times or the bad, blessed be the name of the Lord. When your life is marked by abundance and streams of abundance flow, well, blessed be the name of the Lord then. But when you walk through a desert place, when, when times are tough and it's difficult and you feel distant from God, God is still good. And God is still glorious. And he is worthy of our praise. Amen? I read a quote this week which really, really challenged me. It said this, If nothing good comes my way for the rest of my life, I am still so blessed. Think about that. If nothing good comes my way for the rest of my life, I am still so blessed. And it challenged me because I thought, could I say that? If nothing good happened in Paul Dale's life, 
until the day I die, I am still so blessed in Christ. And my problem is that often I think of blessings as the tangible, physical things that I long for, I think I need. And so I get disappointed when, when God doesn't give me those things. You know, the, the perfect relationship or the perfect children or the perfect job or being popular or being sporty. And, and I get disappointed. But God's never promised me those blessings. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about blessings. God, God promises you these, these spiritual blessings of being chosen and adopted, of being redeemed of being marked by his Holy Spirit, of being reconciled to God and to other people. And they, those are things that do not change regardless of your circumstances. And when you grasp that, you can say, I am blessed. No matter what happens in life, I am so, so blessed. I love hanging around with what I call glass half full people. They're so much more energizing than glass half empty. And someone I know when I ask them, how are, how are you? Their response is this, better than I deserve. How are you? Better than I deserve. Because they, they know that before God, they deserve nothing, and God has lavished them with all these blessings. And if you knew the person, they don't have the perfect life. They have a hard life. But they keep saying they're better than they deserve. So uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to walk slowly through verses 3 to 16. It is one long, majestic sentence, 202 words long. And it stretches from before the foundations of the world right up to our glorious inheritance. And it's like this cascade of glorious blessings. Each builds on the previous. It's been described as a, a symphony with New melodies introduced every second bar. And I want to say it's more Shostakovich or Stravinsky than it is Taylor Swift. It, it, is, it is glorious. It is beautiful because these, these verses are, are drowning in blessings, a tsunami of blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And what I love about these verses, and listen very carefully, there's not a single imperative in verses 3 to 14. There's no command. God is not asking us to do anything. He just wants us to bathe in his blessing. He just wants us to, to marvel at him and go, wow, God, you are amazing. And when you do that, if nothing good comes away for the rest of your life, you can still say, wow, God, I'm so blessed. Let's start with this first word, blessed because we are blessed in Christ. Have you ever experienced someone's radical or ridiculous blessings in your life? Have you ever had a moment where somebody or a group of people have just lavished you with stuff? You go, wow, I didn't deserve that. This is a feeling here when you read verses 3 onwards. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The problem is that the word praise is not a great translation. It's, it's weak. The actual word there is blessed. Blessed be God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. 
Not praise be to him, but blessed be him. This is not a command to praise God. God doesn't need us to praise him. God's not sitting there saying, come on, praise me, praise me. He doesn't need our approval or affirmation. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy to be blessed because he's awesome. And the word blessed, it means that you come before somebody and you often kneel before them and you stretch out your hand and you offer them a gift. It's this posture of humility, of adoration, of awe and wonder. And God is blessed. We come into God's presence and we kind of, we bow before him and we stretch out our hands, but, but what have we got to offer him? And the answer is us, ourselves, that's all we've got. That he is worthy of being blessed. And the problem is that we tend to praise and, and bless physical, tangible things rather than the creator himself. Now, I've got a new iPhone this month, and wow, an iPhone 15, wow, that is awesome. It's not awesome, it, it, it's cool, it's interesting, it's inventive, but it's not awesome. Only God is awesome. I, I want to say this, that the, the bigger your view of God, the more awesome you see Him to be, the more you'll be amazed by these blessings. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, so God is the source of all your blessings. God is Trinitarian. God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, with every spiritual blessing. So it's from the Spirit. So he is the source of all your blessings. When my kids have birthday parties, they, they like to invite every single member of their class. You've got about 35 kids turn up for these birthday parties. And one of their motivations for that, let's be honest, is to get more presents. <laughs> and so at the end of every birthday party, the, the Dale lounge room looks like this. There's like 35 gifts in the corner, and, and my kids are ripping open, open these gifts saying, oh, Dad, I've got Lego, and I've got more Lego. I've got more Lego. I've got more Lego. And I ask their father, I, I, I want to say, stop. Read the gift tag. Who actually sent you this gift? Because I want to say thank you. They don't care about the giver. They just care about the gift. And sometimes we're like that with God. We just take the gift and we forget the giver is God himself. God has blessed us. Us. See that? God has blessed us. That's extraordinary. The, the richest person ever, God himself, wants to lavish you with blessing. In Christ, remember that phrase from last week, in Christ. It comes 11 times in these verses, in Christ, in him, through him. If you weren't here last week, to be in Christ means that if you have believed in Jesus, you've come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, you don't just follow him, but you're in him. And so what he did, God sees you as having done. And everything that is, is his, you get to enjoy because you're in him. And so if you're in Christ, you are, you are blessed. And I need to say this, that, that, that these blessings I'm about to talk about, they're, they're not for those people who are outside of Christ. Now, don't mishear me. I, I am not saying there are no blessings for those people who are not yet believers. Of course there are. God, in his kindness, blesses all people across the globe 
with way more things than we deserve. We, we call them the common blessings, common grace, like rain, sunshine, coffee, beach, friends, all, all the good things that come from the hand of God. But I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about spiritual blessings. Everything we need is found in these spiritual blessings. And he's not talking about your physical circumstances or your wants. He's talking about things like being chosen, being adopted, being redeemed, being forgiven, and being marked with the Holy Spirit. In the heavenly realm, do you see that? Verse 3, in that place where, where Christ is seated now. And that's important because these blessings, if they're in the heavenly realms, they can't rot and they can't rust. And they can't depreciate. And they're not affected by the cost of living crisis. These are permanent blessings, endless blessings, priceless blessings. And they're ours. And we're just supposed to say, wow, wow, God. I mean, lots of people who are disappointed with God, frustrated with God. Often because they're not getting the tangible, physical blessings that they expected in this life. I hear people say, oh, how can God love me when I'm sick and suffering? Or how can a loving God allow my business to fail? Or God, you mustn't love me because I'm still single or I'm single again. Or God, you mustn't love me because I'm struggling right now. And, and I'm not downplaying your pain. I mean, I'm, I'm not downplaying your suffering. But God's never promised you those things. And if you, if you never get those things, you are still profoundly blessed. Because you've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you know what people do in the Bible when they realize they're blessed? They burst into song. And Zechariah, when he was blessed with the birth of John the Baptist, he burst into song. And, and Mary, when she found out she was giving birth to the Messiah, she burst into song. You can read that in Luke's Gospel. And Paul, when he's in prison, yes, he's in prison, suffering. And he thinks about being blessed by God, and he bursts into song. So I want to say, yes, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. But church, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. So whatever happens, whatever you're going through, you can say, I am blessed. That's number one. And then Paul jumps straight in the deep end. He doesn't do this lightly. He doesn't sort of warm you up. He jumps straight in the deep end, verse 4. First blessing, for God has chosen you. For he chose us in Christ, in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So that, that's the first blessing. You are chosen. What does that mean? It means you're wanted. It means God picked you out. It means God saw you, God knew you, God wanted you even before you were born. And God set you apart from this world for himself even before you were born. You're chosen. I, I discovered this week the, the second biggest box office movie in the U.S. last week was The Chosen. Isn't that incredible? Christian film about Jesus being the chosen one and him choosing his followers, and, and, and Americans flocked to the movies to watch it. Why? Because we all want to be chosen. And I, I've shared before how at school I was never chosen. 
I was so bad at soccer. When they lined you up to, to pick their teams, I was never chosen, and that hurt. But let's turn on his head. How do you feel when you are chosen? What, what does it feel like when, when someone picks you? What does it feel like when someone picks you for that job at work or picks you for that team or picks you for that performance? How do you feel when someone wants you? And I hope you feel this, this sense of, wow, I'm wanted. I'm loved. feels good, doesn't it? We're now in verse 4 again. For the God of this universe chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. Uh, the word for chosen, verse 4, is the word elexito. It's the, uh, the Greek word for election. And you might be here tonight thinking, why the heck would Paul begin blessings by talking about election? It's a terrible place to start. No, no, th this is the wonder of the gospel. Th this is the, the, the wonder of God that our salvation, our standing before God has nothing to do with us. It's about God and his free, sovereign, gracious choice of us. Now, before we dive into the word chosen, let's be honest. There, there's two groups of people here tonight. As I talk about, about election, there are some people in the camp of please don't talk about this. I don't like it. I'll never like it. Please don't mention that word election in church again. And there's another camp here tonight saying, preach it. Love this. Predestination, double predestination, superlapsing, just preach it. And I want to say, church, this is a, a doctrine that Christians will and always have slightly disagreed on. Now, Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, Wesley, Bart, they all, they all believed in election, but came at it from a slightly different kind of angle, and that's okay. You and I can go have a, a nice cup of coffee and debate theology and debate theologians and still be really good friends. But what you can't do is deny that God elects. We can disagree on all the details, but you can't deny that he does choose. It's here, for he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Or Mark 13, for the sake of the elect, those whom God chooses. I love this quote, I don't know who said it. He said, someone, someone said, if, if you try to explain election, you may lose your mind. But if you try to explain election away and deny election, you, you may lose your soul. We, we can never fully understand it, but if you deny it, your salvation's at stake. Because here's the bottom line. Election's less about you and all about God. God chose you. God chose you, not the other way around. And if you're here tonight saying, well, actually, I, I chose to follow Jesus, of course you did. Of course, that moment in your life where you said yes to Jesus. But that was because God was prodding you and pursuing you and opening your eyes so you could say yes to following Jesus. Because the Scriptures are clear, no one chooses God. None of us here would, of our own choice, would say, yep, I want to follow Jesus. Romans 3, no one is righteous, not even one. No one seeks God. So we don't reach out to God, he reaches out to us. If you know your Anglican calendar, today is Transfiguration Sunday. 
And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the, the voice from heaven said, this is my chosen one. Talking about Jesus. This is my chosen one. Isn't that beautiful? That, that God the Father chose Jesus, the Son. And if you're in Christ, you were chosen too. When did God choose you? Verse 4. Before the creation of the world, before the foundation of this earth, that's when. And I don't know how far you can stretch back your mind, but I mean, can you remember pre-COVID-19? I think we can. What about, do you remember time before Sydney 2000 Olympics? Remember those days in the 1990s? Or the 1980s? That, that's a great era, the 1980s. But what if, what if you could stretch our mind, you know, back to the Reformation or back to the time of Jesus? Or let's go back in time to, to the time of, of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Let's go back to Abraham and, and Adam. Let's go right back in time. And let's imagine that you go back before the creation of the world, before anything existed. But God exists because God is transcendent. He says, I am. I am. Not I am. Not I was, but I am. God's always existed. So, so what is God doing? What was God doing before the creation of the world? Look at your Bibles. He was choosing us. That's what he's doing, choosing his people. He chose Abraham. He chose Israel to be his treasure possession. He chose us. Now, let's think about this truth. It is mind-blowing. Before I was born, before I was even alive, before I'd taken a breath, before, before I'd prayed a prayer, before I'd walked into a church, before I'd investigated Christianity, God chose me. I wasn't around. And so it's got nothing to do with my good works or my Christian pedigree or my personality because I wasn't born yet. And I love that. Because my salvation is not about anything I, I have done or will do. My salvation is not about anything that God foresaw that I might do or might not do. God just chose me. It's humbling, isn't it? It means that we are not on center stage, but God is. And so if you're here tonight with any hint of pride about something about you that made you worthy of being chosen... This doctrine just rids you of that. I love this quote by Spurgeon. It, it is quite offensive, but I love it. He says this. Listen carefully. If God had not chosen you before the creation of the world, God certainly would not have chosen you after you've been born. And he's right. Because I look out here, and none of us here are worthy of being chosen. So why did God choose us? What's the purpose? Verse 4. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Love that. Holy before God, blameless before other people. Holy and blameless. That, that's what we all long for, to be pure and clean and righteous. Now, now, God didn't choose you because you are holy. That's a lie. God didn't choose you because you were trying to be holy. God didn't choose you because he foresaw a day where you might be holy because that's never going to happen. No, holy and blameless is not the grounds for the choosing. It's, it's the goal of it. It's the purpose, the result. God declares you in his sight to be holy and blameless. Isn't that extraordinary? I'm not holy. I'm not blameless, and neither are you. But that's how God sees you. 
Why? Because you're in Christ. You're, you're clothed in the holiness of Jesus. And this is, again, it's liberating because all of us here have moments in our Christian life where we're tempted to be down on ourselves. And we're tempted to say, gosh, I'm such a wretched sinner. And I look back at my day and I go, oh, I got angry then, I spoke harshly then, and I was bitter then. And, uh, but that's okay. Now, God doesn't count our sins against us, but he just sees us in Christ as holy and blameless. And on that last day when you stand before the throne of God, you will be presented holy and blameless in his sight. So please never fear. And please ne never let anybody tear you down with their words and make you feel worthless. Because you can say, no, I'm chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Number three, finally. So you're blessed, you're chosen, and you're adopted. You're adopted into this family. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So friends, you're not just chosen, you're adopted. You're not just picked out from a crowd. You're actually brought into a family. God calls you his son and his daughter. God invites you to experience all the joys or the privilege or the blessings of calling God your father. And there's a massive debate over those two words, in love. Do the in love go with the, the previous verse, the choosing bit, or do the in love go with the, the following verse, the predestination bit? And the answer is, who cares? It's both. You know, God acts in love. That's, that's the whole point. He acts in love. That's his heart. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us. So, yep, predestination. For those theologians, predestination is kind of the, 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 the larger scope the big umbrella, and adoption is sort of a subset of that. But that word predestined, it means to be, to mark out in advance. This is my, my best illustration. It's a bit like when you, you're buying a property off the plan. So the property doesn't exist yet, but you bought it, it's yours. And then you go to the field where your property is going to exist. And you look at the field, you think, that, that, there's no property there yet. But I'm going to mark out, mark out the boundaries. This is going to be my property. This is where it's going to live and stand. That's what the predestined means, that you have marked out, you have determined, predetermined, sort of foreordained what, what it's going to be like. That, that's what God is doing here. Now, what's he predetermined, predetermined us for? Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. And before you say, no, sons and daughters, I, I know it's sons and daughters. But actually the word there is son, because Paul wants to not just talk about being a child, but being an heir. About giving you an inheritance that's not likely yours. And I know that both sons and daughters get the inheritance. Praise God that in our culture today, it's both sons and daughters. But back in those days, it was sons. And that's why he used the word sonship. He's talking about, uh, talking about adopted for inheritance. And it's a beautiful word, adoption. You know, in the Roman world, if a, if a wealthy man didn't have a son or a bad relationship with his son, he would, he would choose one of his servants, one of his trusted servants, and adopt him into the family. Now, now think about being that servant. You were a servant. Now you're a son. You were poor. Now you're wealthy. 
You had nothing, now you've got everything. That's what it means to be adopted. Now, many, many of you know that um, I've adopted my eldest son, Sam. He's not biologically mine. So, so Sam is the biological son of the late Benjamin Lewarn. But when I married Rich, Sam was five. For the first five or so years, I think it was long that seven years of our marriage, I didn't adopt him. And we talked about it. He said, I, I want to be adopted. It was a joy to adopt him. Now, now, if Sam was here and I said, Sam, what changed when I adopted you? He would say, oh, nothing really. <laughs> now, you loved me. I was part of the family and it was amazing. But then you say, oh, actually, yeah, things did change. Because I had this kind of security and almost like this legal thing where legally I was, I was yours. And he's mine. Maybe one day we'll adopt Enzo, who knows. Adoption is beautiful. But let me be clear, God doesn't need to adopt you. Please don't think that God needed you to, to continue his line or to continue his legacy. Of course he doesn't need you. God's got a son, the beloved son. We call him Jesus, and Jesus was perfect. God didn't need imperfect people like you and I. God doesn't need sons and daughters, but he chose to. He wants to. And he doesn't choose somebodies and successful people. He chooses sinners like you and I to be adopted into his family. Why did he do it, verse 5? In accordance with his pleasure and will. Isn't that beautiful? God longed for and wanted to adopt you. How does that make you feel? Dave Packer said adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. Higher than justification. Justification is a, full, is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as your judge. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as your father. In adoption, God takes you into his family. And I love that. I'm, I, I'm part of a family. And by the Spirit, I can cry, Abba, Father. And you might not know the, the word Father is only used 14 times in the whole of the Old Testament. And it's always corporate, always the nations calling him father, never individually. But Jesus comes and over 60 times he calls God his father and he invites you to call God father. Because friends, God wants a relationship with you. A family relationship. And he invites you to call him father. Now, now you know, I've shared many times that my relationship with my biological family back in the UK was not great. It was dysfunctional, very dysfunctional. And so if I'm honest, when I became a Christian 34 years ago and the pastor at the time said, you, you can call God Father, that wasn't beautiful to me. That was traumatic and triggering. Because I thought that fathers were monsters and abusive and cold and harsh. 
And then one day, I still remember the day when the Spirit of God completely broke me and said, God is a Father who is always there and always cares. And God is a Father in your life who loves you unconditionally and wants you. And when you cry out to Him, He hears. And when you're hurting, He, he wants to carry you. And it's almost like from that day onward, everything changed. And, and I kept calling God Father. I couldn't stop calling Him Father. And it's the most beautiful truth of my Christian life that I've got a Father who loves me and wants me to be part of His family. And I share that personal story because you might be here tonight and that word Father has triggered you. And my prayer is that you be set free from that and, and know that your heavenly Father is this perfect Father who is unlike any other earthly Father you could ever imagine. Or maybe you're here tonight and God has brought you here tonight because you need to hear that you are wanted and you're not an accident and you're not unseen and you're not unlovable because God has brought you to this new family. He's adopted you and that's a permanent position. It doesn't change. Not just a child, but an heir. You know that verse in Romans 8 where he said, we, we, are, we are more than conquerors. So to be an heir is better than being a conqueror because to be an heir means that you are going to inherit all the blessings of Christ. That's what God offers you. He adopts you as his child. He calls you his beloved. He calls you into his family and says, call me dad. Why do you do that? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Starts with God choosing, ends with God being praised. All about God. So if someone says to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? I hope you're going to say, no matter what happens in my life, good or bad, I know I'm blessed. And no matter what I do in life, I know I'm chosen. And no matter if everyone else walks away, I've got a father and a family because God has adopted me. And if you start to think like that, then you might start to say, where, God? And then maybe you will sing every blessing. You turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, still you will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So I'll invite the musos up, and I want to invite you, just where you are, to take a moment to ponder the blessings of God. And I'm going to declare some truths over you. Bridge Church, in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're chosen before you're even born. You're adopted into the perfect family with the perfect father. You are loved. You are forgiven and redeemed by the blood of our Savior. So, Bridges, may the Lord bless you. 
And may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he give you his peace.